Okay, we're going to wrap up today. Yosei Ben Yochanan, YBY2. We're going to wrap him up today. So we had our emotionally uh, laden point yesterday of line erasure and those things. And that is precisely why um, we need to talk about women. Okay? There's an awfully long postscript about women. There is a... Uh, if you want to join in, there is a... Uh, now we're all going to go around the room and everyone's going to... Everyone's going to like a women-oriented uh, day today. Um, good. The point we made yesterday was in Gemilas Chasadim. This is a, this is a, there's a challenge here for us men. The point we made yesterday for Gemilas Chasadim was that the goal for us developmentally is starting to erase and knock down those walls that we build between us and other people, right? And the ultimate goal would be absolute identification with all other human beings. Right? That would be, if you're looking for like the fully enlightened man, it would be someone who can fully identify with every other human being on the planet. Okay? Regardless of uh, apparent differences, regardless of, like the Tiger said, of differences of opinion, regardless of how wrong they are, or how right I am, regardless of how wicked they are, how righteous I am, I can identify with every, I have no walls and no lines, and I could disagree, and I could kill you. If that's the right thing. I'll murder you myself. Right? Throw you off a building, crush you with rocks. Right? We do that. Right? I'll happily behead you if, uh, if that's the Ratzon Hashem. But I could fully identify with you at the same time. There's no line in my head between me and you. No real line between me and you. In the role that we're playing and in the story that's playing out, you've made decisions that lead to beheading. Right? And I've made decisions that lead to doing the beheading. Okay? But fundamentally, is there any difference? No. You made some unwise choices, but so have I, really. And what did you really know? The Chovos, uh, later in, uh, in Shar Yichor HaMaisa, um, we have a series of conversations that you need to have with the Yetzir Haro. So one of the conversations that you have is this point. Right? And, uh, and something Rav Yaakovson told me once. Also, he said, you know, if you think that by looking at someone... Uh, or even getting to know them, that you could possibly know where they're standing, Be'enei Hashem, said, you, you've, you've missed the whole thing, he told me. The whole thing. Oh, you missed. The, the Chovah says it also later, that uh, you have no idea. You have no idea, Be'enei Hashem, where anybody is. There's no way to know. Okay? And the Ramban goes further in his, in Yigeris in Ramban, uh, where he talks about being able to view everyone as superior, um, which is a harder task. But the Chovah doesn't go that far. He just puts a question mark. Right? You don't know. You don't know. The Green used to say that it could be the guy that elbowed you out of the way in line with a curse and a thing. Right? How do you know Ben Hashem where he's holding? Right? He could be light years ahead of you. You'd have to know so many things about him that you could never know. You'd have to be able to identify with his internal experience in a way that's impossible for another human being to do. His whole life history and everything about him and what it's like to be him. And you'll never know what it's like to be somebody else, ever. So to pass judgment Ben Hashem, I could tell you that what you're doing is wrong. Absolutely. In terms of behaviors and activities and those things, I can say, oh, what you're doing now is punishable by death. Let's go. And I'll kill you. But, but in terms of how Hashem's going to react to that, I have no idea. Hashem said, this is how we're supposed to play this out. Right? You do that, and then I throw you off a building. That's how this scene plays out. Well, how does Hashem actually react to what you're doing? It depends on so many factors. And I don't know what they are. I don't know anything about you and how you're going to get judged and what your capabilities were and what you know and what you don't know and how you feel and how you don't feel. I don't know. How the heck am I supposed to? There's no way for me to know. It's a Chavos. He's talking about people doing a virus. Don't, uh, he's not talking about, you know, 
different forms of avodas Hashem, like uh, like the Nitziv was bringing. Right? He's talking about people doing legit avodas. So that's very hard for us. But uh, like I said yesterday with the poor people, okay, so start with the easy ones. Right? Don't start with the people doing their own murders and what it called. Start with other people. It's so easy. It's so easy. And it so doesn't happen if you don't do it. And it's so easy if you start. It's, so there's so many people out there that you're currently not identifying with that you could very easily. Like I brought you the storekeepers yesterday. How hard was that task? Not very hard. Okay, easier for me because I, I've had the burden of Parnassa for, uh, for a while. So I'm familiar with what the panic of not having any money or not knowing how you're going to pay the rent is like. I've had that experience. So it's easier for me because I have, I have those experiences to, uh, to build off of. Okay, but you, you know what it's like to have anxiety. You can imagine a little bit what it would be like. You can't really fully imagine, but you can sort of kalvachomerically imagine what it would be like to lose all, your, all that security. Right? It's not so hard. It's not such a stretch of your uh, match. Okay, what is it like to be a, a, a Brahmin? You know what I mean? <laughs> What's it like to be a, a Hindu uh, in some kind of Hindu death cult? Right? Where you were raised in a literal pile of garbage and bones? Okay, you probably won't get it. Right? That may be beyond uh, your ability to empathize with Aborigines. You know, and what do you call it? Okay, so you can study them and, and, and do your, you go live with them for... Uh, you go live with them for 10 years and you start to get it. Maybe even then, I don't know if you'll be able to do it. Okay, but there's so many people that are just like you. They're just, they're your counterparts and other things. And they, some of them are even just you with slightly different decision making. Like I go back now, you guys are started. You guys started already. As your, your, your school classes up till grade 12 or whatever you people call it, uh, was really based on location. Right? There was nothing really essentially binding all you people. Your classmates weren't being bound together by any kind of life decisions. Right? A little bit the life decisions of their parents, for the most part. Right? Whether you ended up in King David or Yeshiva College or wherever else you people ended up. I'm just saying names that I know. I don't know what I'm saying. Okay? Those are names that, that have to do with South Africa. Okay? You don't know. Uh, it has a lot to do with your parents' decisions. Though, so you're mostly collected, for the most part, just by age and location. Collected you into this group. Right? But once school is over and people start their lives, okay, so unfortunately for a lot of them, their lives are going to continue to be dictated by things like that. But for some of you, there were decisions being made. And, what, and one of the great things that you can do is you can look back and look, by looking at other people, you can see other lives that could have been yours. Right? If the decisions were made slightly differently or if decisions hadn't been made uh, at the times that they were made. And you can look at friends and be like, oh, we were at the same place. We were in the same place, and now we're not. And now we're very much not, right? Uh, so I have a friend who uh, we were born on the same day. We were born on the same day, same year. We're, uh, we're close, and he, uh, he ended up uh, in a lockdown rehab, heroin addiction, and uh, escaping from rehab. What do you call it? And at one point I went back, a whole story, through his house, living on the streets. And then uh, one time I went back and he's working at Subway. Subway's like a, you guys know what Subway is. It's like a fast food. And it was a victory. There's the fact he was holding on a job, a regular job, and he'd been clean for however many uh, you know, weeks or whatever. And it was like, it was celebratory. And he had sort of made up with his father and he was going to be able to work. And it was so crazy. That would be such an abject failure of my life if I was working at Subway. And for him, this was uh, Nisim Veniflaus that he had on his stupid little hat and making sandwiches for people. It was like a miracle. 
kid should be dead in an alley. And at some point, we were together. We hung out every day. At some point, we were uh, good buddies. And then the trajectories changed. How different am I than him? Not really. Right? His father reacted badly in a way that my mother did not. There were a few external events that transpired and a few decisions that were different. And then we ended up in very different places. Can I identify with them? Of course I can. That could be me. No problem. So you could use your friends as a way to do it. Because uh, it's easier. Because those people really were. You really were kind of parallel at a certain point. Okay? No one's the same the same. That's not what we're looking for. But the idea that you could have ended up there is a great trick to be able to identify with where they actually ended up. And now you can... Uh, I have friends who ended up uh, just regular lives. They're still living in the same community that we lived in when we were in high school. And they're working in similar jobs that their parents worked in. And they're davening the same shoal that their parents davened in. And, it's, uh, and, they're, and they're unhappy. They're unhappy because uh, life is sort of a big, so what? Everything just kind of continued. It's like an absence of decisions on their part. That could have been me easily also. And can I identify with their kind of existential angst that their whole life is purposeless and what the heck are they doing here? Sure, I have those feelings sometimes. I can identify. I can imagine what that's like. So those games that you play in your head that are really just a decision that you make to do that or not, um, and obviously tefillah plays a very large role uh, in that, uh, in learning to identify and care for other people. You can do it, man. You can do it. Just because half these guys are British doesn't mean you can't identify with their experience. There's a lot of shared stuff in there. It gets harder the more different you get. But you, there's so many people it's so easy to do it with. Uh, at least certain aspects of their reality. So that's the goal. And what's, what would be the, the, the grand finale? Grand finale would be I can identify with anyone. Okay? And you come to me and tell me your story. And uh, what do you call it? They had uh, the story of the Moshe Fine. Rebdova Fine was just nifter. Um, very unfortunately. Um, his father, uh, Moshe Feinstein, so uh, there's a story, it's a famous, they bring it in the Amen book. It's, a famous, it's told as an Amen story, but for me it's a Moshe Feinstein story. Uh, where this guy had uh, one of these situations where he's, uh, he's, uh, he's going to die very soon. It's a matter of weeks. Uh, he has left to live. And there's an operation that they can do that will potentially extend his life. By about, he'll be able to live for about six months but it's going to be excruciating. Okay? The process of this particular operation and stuff is going to be extremely not fun. Right? Uh, extremely painful, but he'll be able to live uh, for six more months, or maybe just... Right? Maybe not. Maybe it's not worthwhile uh, just to extend the expiration date. And so uh, he was a secular Jewish doctor and a religious Jewish guy, unfortunately, was the patient. And so he told the doctor, and the doctor finished explaining to him the options. So he said, you know, I can't make this decision on my own. I need to go talk to my Rebbe. And so the second Jewish doctor was like, okay, I want to hear this. Okay, I want to go hear. He was puzzled. He obviously wasn't secular enough to hate us. <laughs> or two, he was, he was secular enough to be intrigued. So he wanted to know, like, what the heck does a rabbi have to do with anything? Like, it's not like asking about, you know, like chickens and, and milk and whatever rabbis do. So uh, he went with the guy to Moshe Fasin, and uh, the guy lays out the story to Moshe. And the first thing Moshe does, he puts his head down and cries for like a half hour. That was his first reaction. And then he tells the guy that uh, do it. And he said, in six months, you're going to say a whole ton of amens. And each of those amens is going to create a malach that's going to protect you. And you'll live much longer. And uh, so the story goes, that's exactly what happened. He does the operation, and he ended up living for years. 
Okay, so the story is brought in the Amen book. It's an Amen story, but I can care less about the Amen part. Uh, I think it's a Ramosha Feinstein story. You know how many stories like that he hears? He heard tons. Look in any Shadows and Chuvas safer of any big guy, and it's full. The whole of uh, Ramosha Sternbach has a whole section of people coming to him with these stories. Operating table stories, this what percentage chance of being killed on the operating table versus how much more life you're going to have. They deal with these like daily. These are regular stories for them. The fact that Moshe Feinstein was not a young man. He had been decades in the business of dealing with these incredibly heart-rending stories, but he was still that sensitive. It wasn't like a halachic thing. Well, because you know, like extending life has a din of blah, blah, blah. There wasn't a, he had that afterwards. He did it. He did the whole limud and the sugya and whatever. He knew exactly what he was postulating. I don't know if it really had anything to do with the amens, by the way. That was what he said, but I'm not sure. But the impressive part of that story is that after decades of dealing with this, not like a doctor. How does a doctor feel? Did the doctor put his head down and cry for a half hour when he had to tell this guy that he has the choice between six months of pain and three weeks of not? No. Why? Because he does it all the time. He's an oncologist. Okay? He's, uh, he's uh, numbed himself, you know what I mean, to, to these things. And Moshe Feinstein, who was no less exposed to these stories than the doctor was, was still so sensitive that he cried with identification with this person. That, for me, is, uh, that's where we're headed, okay? And is it, a, is it a fun place? Sometimes. Sometimes it's fun, and sometimes it's not. Just because that's life. There's a lot of people who are suffering, a lot of people doing good, and you can celebrate with them, and you can suffer with them. And it's a, it's a different world to live in when you bring down those walls. It's a bigger world, and it's a better world. Uh, not better in the sense of being more pleasurable, but better in the sense of being better. Okay? So that's where we're headed. The problem is... Women. Women are the problem. <laughs> because as much as you're, you're blurring lines, and what do you call it, uh, we have issues when it comes to our interactions with women, uh, which is line blur, where line blurring is not the best idea. Okay? Because obviously there are boundaries and borders that you can cross interaction with women that lead to very bad things. Right? And, uh, and uh, obviously getting too friendly with your friend's wife is a bad plan. Everyone, you know, I am in America. You'd like to know what happens. What happens if people get too friendly with each other's wives? It's most of the pshita. Okay, that part doesn't arrive. What, what, what's interesting is um, two points here. First of all, that they talk about your own wife is one point that everyone's going to town on what that's about. And the, the point that I want to focus on, because you guys don't have wives, uh, it's a, it'd be a purely intellectual exercise, but uh, is the idea of altar besicha. Okay, that, that phrase. So a lot of unfortunately, first does this thing again where he where he uh, he comes out all clean and beautiful again. Um, and he wants to learn. See, he, he, the, 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 and was, here, let's just give the recipe for what we're looking for. I'm on this journey of identification and of uh, and of uh, connection and empathy and what do you call it to other people, but I know I'm in danger of uh, getting a little too connected in areas where there's supposed to be some distance. Okay, so how do I? How do I address the, the, the woman problem, which is really not specifically woman, but the, in our case, that's what it is. How do I address that problem? Uh, how do I deal with it without, uh, without breaking the whole thing? Okay, I want to continue this process, but I want to be able to maintain the necessary distance so that I don't get into trouble. Okay, so uh, Refresh's understanding of Al-Tar Basicha is, it says, Sicha generally in Chazal, is used for light conversations. Sicha betela, sicha schulen. Okay, the word sicha generally indicates um, nonsense, just uh, chatter. 
you know, just uh, what do you call it? Idle chatter and these things are used with the word sicha. And therefore, his, uh, his response is, is, uh, is uh, you, you need to stay in the realm of, of serious and weighty topics, right? With your wife, and correspondingly, obviously, with everybody else. It needs to be not too much chit-chat. And what do you call it? The conversation should be about things of import. Okay? So I don't think that's a full solution, because uh, I think you can, all, first of all, kasha uh, on him that the word siach is also one of the words for tefillah, so we can... Uh, I have a teretz, but it's interesting. If we're doing our first year, that'd be an interesting idea. But, also, I don't think that's going to stop the problem, honestly, because having a deep conversation with a girl is going to also... I don't know that that's going to... If anything, the, the, the connection feels more intimate. What do you call it? I have a, slight, I have a different approach. Well, how often do you have a conversation with your Too much, he's saying. Because so if Hirsch holds, because it's a waste of your wife. It's an incorrect utilization of your wife. That's the way he learns it. Wait, he's holding deep as light? Well, how can they be the two different No, things? he's holding don't tarbasicha. Don't, he said, you're, uh, you'll be tempted to just spend your days in chit chat with your wife because it's so pleasant. He's like, you're wasting a resource. He said, you're right, your wife has, a, has an incredible depth there. Just the uh, Chazal talk about being a sayer and these things. Wives are amazing tools for clarity. He's like, don't waste her. It's tempting because you guys could just hang out. It's fun. You love your wife. You just hang out all day and, and shoot the breeze. He's like, don't do it. Don't do it. She's a, she's a very powerful machine for getting clarity on what's going on. Make sure to utilize her properly. That's his take. All right, so look, he gets to walk away. All the women feel good. All the good. Right, he's good, man. First is awesome. Uh, <laughs> right from a Mishnah that really seems uh, like you're going to get, how are you going to do this one? He does it. He's a, he guy's amazing. You're saying that you can, but not too much? Yeah, of course there's going to be some level of hanging out. Right? We're not a... Uh, we're obviously regular people. So I, I want to give a slightly different shot, very different shot, uh, which of course I like better because it's mine, which is as follows. Here's how you... How do, uh, what do the walls look like in, in your experience? Okay, I'm talking about building walls between us and other people, and this we sort of identify with what I'm saying as a muscle, but what does it actually look like? How does it play out in your day-to-day life? Right? And it plays out like this. When you, the, what, uh, another way to, to, to talk about it is that with other people you fall into a script, okay, based on role. So, for example, you have, uh, you have many gradations of friend, right? I don't know, you could pay attention in your life and see how many different categories of friend you have. Okay? It's everything from a like, mild acquaintance to uh, you know, intimate pal or whatever uh, thing. Right? Really... Uh, the guy who knows all my everything. And you have a whole gradations of in-between, the people friendly, people not, and you, you unconsciously categorize everybody and put them in different things, and each different level, if you had to keep track of this, it'd be, it'd be, it'd be terrible. But your brain does it all for you. Each one necessitates a certain type of interaction. Okay? There's a school of, of psychology called transactional analysis that is, of course, outdated, but was, uh, was very popular in uh, the late 60s, I think. Uh, it's kind of about the guy Eric Byrne, um, his Tom Edom Harris, and these guys. So a lot of truth to it. The Rav Yaxson gave it to me because there's a lot of truth to it. Uh, even though obviously, like all psychological schools, it's not the truth, but there is a lot of truth to gain from it. That's so one of the things that they did. Uh, what they focused on mostly was analyzing interpersonal interactions. That was the looking at the actual back and forth, the actual shock of between the people. And so one of the things they noticed was the following, that it, you have certain people... They call, it, they call them strokes, each, each move. 
Right, we would call them moves. Right, let's call it moves to keep a thing. How many moves is the sugya that's produced when you and I get together? Right? There's different numbers of moves for different types of people. So for example, you have some people that it's a two or max three move interaction. Right? You see them in the street. Hey man, what's up? Yeah, yeah, how's it going? That's it. That is the sugya of you two guys. That's the level of interaction. It requires two moves. Okay? One, two. One back and forth. Maybe three. Okay? Maybe I'll see you later. Right? You can get max four out of the thing, but that's it. Right? You're basically a two-move sugya, the two of you. Other people you're friendlier with, okay? You're going to demand a few more moves. Hey, how's it going? Da, da, da. How'd you, how was your Shabbos? You're throwing another thing. That guy's all right, what about you? And you're up to six, seven moves, okay? He's a six, seven mover, this guy. And you have people who are further, you have people who are, uh, you know, just aligned with the thing, like endless, an endless number of moves. This sugya is an endless sugya. The two of us, we could talk as long or as little as we want. Right? You have different categories, and like I said, you don't have to keep track, because your brain keeps track of it for you. So there is, but there is, when you interact with people, there is a set script for interaction, for most types of interaction. Rabbi Talmud, parent-child, you have scripts for everything. Right? Your brain has, you've been alive long enough that your brain has developed programs for every type of interaction you can have. And they're great. And those are great things. Right? They're maintaining the social fabric and blah, 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 blah. Okay? They're our way to get really going. If you walk by somebody and you don't notice them, it's very bad. Okay? Everybody gets hurt. Everybody walks away feeling bad, but you don't really want to engage them because you guys are not that close. So you have these magic uh, two, three move sugyas that you can pull off, and then it's great. You've acknowledged each other and you keep going. It's fantastic. That is where we all start. Okay? And so for a lot of people, we have no move interactions. Right? Poor people is maybe one move. If you call giving the money a move even, right? Maybe zero. And a lot of people, zero moves. Strangers, other things, right? I don't even bear them a thought. Just walk right by. Okay? Zero moves for all these entire. So, so one, one thing that we're talking about is to get people out of the zero move category, right? To move into engagement for, for human, more and more human beings. Makdim shalma kaladam, which may not mean what it sounds like, but that sort of idea. But uh, another way to do it, here's a very practical way to do it. Now, some people do this because they enjoy making other people uncomfortable, and don't do that, okay? This is the danger with all learning any psychology, is that <laughs> you can use it to manipulate other people and, and play with them, okay? Or you could use your powers for good, not evil. So try to use your powers for good, okay? But here's, here's what you can do. You take a guy where you have a three-move interaction, okay, and add a move. Hey, you have a, hey, what's up, how's it going? And he's like, yeah, good, and you? Right, that kind of, uh, that's your interaction with the two things. Add another move. Break script. How's your Shabbos? So now what you're going to watch is there's a break that happens in their thing because you just broke script. That was it. He said, how are you? He said, good, and you? Game over. That's, the, that's the, what the brain demands is a necessary interaction. You went too far. You threw in another move. It's like the script's over. You're now uh, ad-libbing, right? It's now improv. It's improv night now. And now he's here. And now he's back. And now he's actually present. Because something weird is happening. And what is weird? You asked him about a Shabbos. That's not the kind of relationship we have. We don't have an asking me about my Shabbos relationship. And if you haven't asked about the Shabbos relationship, so add another move. Right? Whatever you want, just go, you'll feel it. You're sensitive. Push one move past whatever the natural interaction is, 
And the magic is, is that the interaction becomes intimate instantly. Now, what intimacy means in the psychological terms is that we're actually interacting. You're here and I'm here and we're actually thinking about each other and talking. As opposed to most of the noises we make at each other, we're not really here. We're just programs interacting with each other. We're like bots, you know, arguing with each other on the internet. Most of the time. But now all of a sudden you're present and he's present because you broke script. And all of a sudden you're both here. And it's uh, crazy. I did it once with, uh, I mean, uh, but one, that one particularly uh, memorable was uh, gave a shear here in the English library many, 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 many years ago. A night seder shear. It was a Masil Susham shear. And it was a whole, it was a, the shear was basically about free will and about how you can just choose to be different. Okay? And you don't have to wait for anything to take place. It was the waiting for the bus shear. It was the, there is no bus shear. It was uh, tied into that theme. So after that we had Meirev and then we were leaving and I was walking a guy, not from the yeshiva, but a local fellow and I was walking, we were walking together. He lives over, you know, further down. Uh, so we were walking, I was on the way to the Kotel. We were walking together. And he's like, oh, I see you gave a, a, a shear. What's the shear on? I said, oh, he said, oh, could you tell me the, could you give me the thing? And we're all in script right now. Okay? Fully scripted right now. Right? He wants to know what I'm teaching. I tell him. Can he share the Torah? Great. So we do it. So I give him the Dvar Torah. We're all still on script. Everything's fine. Nobody's awake just yet. And I, I give him the piece. And then we get to where his house is, and he's like, oh, he's like, oh, thank you. He's like, it's Hashem, Hashem should bless us that we should, you know, we, we should wake up tomorrow with the, with the thing to, to grow and to change and to choose. And, da, 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 da. Right? and then that was a goodbye. That would be his, uh, his little summary bracha type thing. And I, I did it. I'm like, no, not wake up tomorrow with the whatever. I'm like, that was the whole point of what I was saying. You don't have to wait till tomorrow, just choose now. Stop waiting for something to be different. You can just choose to be different because you can choose. So he started, <laughs> wasn't nice, he wasn't ready. Not everybody's ready to wake up, what are you gonna do? He started, he got visibly nervous and started like, uh, and he quickly excused himself and like scurried off to his thing. So he wasn't ready to break script with me. <laughs> just that. It was also very harsh script breaking. Right? But he, he was immediately present and he was freaked out because we were so comfortably asleep for that whole end. It was such a pleasant, sleepy, scripted interaction. And then I called him out on the fact that we weren't interacting, and he got very, he got very nervous. So, that, so if you want to create intimacy with people, you have to break script. Okay? The reason why we have these scripts and these programs is to maintain distance. So I can interact with you without interacting with you. That's the goal of these things. And they're polite, and they're great. The good in you is very polite and wonderful, and it's super important, but you're not interacting with that person. And one of the best ways to do it is to push it one level further. I want to say that's what Tarba Sicha means. Okay? Tarba doesn't mean don't have Sicha. Okay, tarba means more. What do you mean, more than what? It means I'm having sicha with women, but not too much. Well, when's too much? <laughs> so that's, I want to say tarba is this. With, when, when it comes to women, for us people who are uh, in a dangerous position, you have to keep script. Don't do it. All tarba, don't go the step further. That's where intimacy is going to come in, and that's where, of course, you're polite. And of course you play the social game and follow your social scripts in terms of whatever it is. You say good child. Well, my Rabbanim said good Shabbos to women in the street. You say good Shabbos, what do you call it? If they're at your house, you ask them how they are and blah, blah, blah. You do whatever the normal social contract is, you do it. That is absolutely fine. Again, if the normal social contract is fine. But assuming it's a normal social interaction, 
But altar besicha is that next thing don't do. The exercise you're going to be doing with other people, with your male friends and these things to create intimacy, that's where the problem's going to get. That's where you're going to have a problem. Don't step with the women, just keep it, keep the script. Of course you're friendly and of course you're polite and of course you're what do you call it? Don't take up the extra step. Okay? That is, uh, I, I want to explain. Altar besicha, which explains easily the Aisha's Havero, how to take the Altar besicha idea and explain it with your own life, that I'm going to leave out for the moment. Okay? But that is my, uh, that's my Kiddush. I don't have any backup. I don't have any backup for this one. But even if it's not Shavu the Mishnah, it's a fantastic piece of advice. Okay? <laughs> yeah. So, I thought you were going to take it the other way where you're saying you see it as a scripted conversation and you're saying, oh, the wife, yeah, everyone's saying Isha, Isha means the wife, I mean, you don't have the lightheaded, scripted, meaningless conversation with your wife that has boundaries and keeps distance Great script with her. That's not, not all the time, but don't have... Oh, don't have too much of the Dr. Mora, like a rehearsed oh, style. Uh, oh, style. very good. I thought that's exactly what you were going to say. Uh, now but then it's a little hard because... The yeah, but it's a little hard because then they say Isha's Chavero. Whatever you're doing with your wife, they're applying to your friend's wife. And if it means that, that's their problem with the first shot also. Well, what was the word? When I'm breaking script with my friend's wife also? What's the mission saying? Alta besita in the Isha. Be'ishto amru kavachom Chavero. Oh, That's the riddle over here. Okay, so what your first said is under, easily understood with your wife, but how do you call a to somebody else's wife? Oh, that's a big Whereas the way I said it works with other people's wives, but what's wrong with breaking script with your wife? That doesn't make any sense. Right? So we're going to, it's a pickle. It's a pickle however you do this one. Oh, yeah. uh, so you, right? haven't, you haven't justified your shot fully either. Hey, with the wife, I don't know how to justify a person with your friend's wife, and I'm not sure yet how to justify my shot with my wife. So you don't have intimacy with so, the Okay, wife. so I'm not, maybe we could do both shot them and Tarve? I don't know. You're going to do it. Do it. Do it. Yeah. Sometimes you have an infinite script. So if you walk, there's never that too much. Oh, uh, look at you. Very good. There should be no said by definition. You can't, you can't talk. By wife, you can't, and that people, you shouldn't. Yeah. How can you? How can <laughs> okay. You? It's not a common homer so much then. Yeah. Uh, guys, go, go. I'm going to get in trouble. Go, go.